History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at our most recent episode, number 61, The Boogeyman in United Arab Emirates during 1750 to 1850. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out or else you will find spooky spoilers ahead. Why can't you speak English? My name is Pete Goddard and I am here in the HHE studio with the candle to my carved pumpkin. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. Yeah, I'm the pumpkin spice to your latte. No, I was thinking more that with, without the candle in it, the th- thing isn't scary. It doesn't really work. It's just a mutilated vegetable. Oh, okay. I was trying to be nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so, it's so infrequent. I know, it's scary and surprising. It's Halloween. Everything's turned upside down. <laughs> but we are joined, of course, as ever, by the decapitated, decomposing disemboweler it's mr paul dursley oh you finally got around to me we could never forget <laughs> you it's halloween you're the thing we're scared of most yeah for sure now ryan i have to tell you i had terrible scare last week possibly because of the ghosts that have been visiting me ever since the episode and i've forgotten everything we said so i wonder if you could recap what we talked about last week yeah i can totally do that for you but when now In this very spooky Halloween special, we travel to the Middle East to meet and greet with some of the United Arab Emirates' spookiest boogeymen. We shook hooves with the donkey lady, dove into the ocean to meet the father of the sea, were wary of the woman with sickles for hands, and met Katafra Fay, the man who transforms into a boat with limbs. And we travel back in time to the pirate coast to witness the violence and vengeance of two real-life boogeymen, and all while munching on some very yummy camel milk chock. Last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, yes, it has all come flooding back to me. What a delightful mix of history and spooky, scary stories for Halloween. I loved it, but my opinion is as mere sand in the dune. What really matters is the opinion of Paul Dursley. What do you think, Paul? Ah, well, how I felt was, once again, you are taking an opportunity to monetarise some pathetic little pointless festival. Ah, yes. Good old Halloween. (laughs) Clearly a fan. So question, Paul, did you enjoy the history? Let's focus on the history part to start with. So what did you think? Was this something you were aware of, the piracy in inverted commas in the Arabian Gulf? Oh, well, sort of the ancient history about the Persian Gulf being a valley. I didn't, obviously it was, but I didn't know anything about it. That was moderately interesting. Yeah, apparently there is so much archaeological evidence just under there, but it's submerged. It's very difficult to get to. Undersea archaeology. That must be a sub-discipline of archaeology. Yes, it is, because uh, there's a place just off Norfolk called Doggerland. There was lots of human habitation there before the sea levels rose and it was inundated. I have in my mind a diver with one of those archaeologist little brushes brushing away <laughs> under the water then it keeps settling again. He's like oh for goodness sake! <laughs> <laughs> they use like a big vacuum cleaner don't they? Just suck it all away. It, I find it fascinating though, this this idea of those 50 people that migrated out of Africa and sort of settled in that area. Okay, so Dubai was a hub even then? Even then, yeah. They, they really do think it was one of 
the very earliest settlements. Wow. Look at that two-story building. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that kept coming back to me when I listened to the podcast back, actually, was I kind of forgot that the, the British Navy that we were talking about was, of course, not the British Navy at all, was it? It was a company navy, a private navy, yeah. representing the East India Company. And every time we said sort of the British ships, my head goes to kind of National Army Navy kind of things. But of course it wasn't. It was just, let's just send some gunships on company business, ultimately. That's right. I mean, there was a combination. So the Bombay government did send some ships as well, and it was sort of a combination but yeah very much at the beginning this is all east india company ships it's an amazing thought to have a board meeting to go right we're going to war as a company that's crazy so i was then thinking wow what precedents are there for corporate armies right mm -hmm. or navies particularly because they seem like more extravagant well, loads in the past yeah but i was thinking more recently so at one point the pepsi company was doing a lot of business with the soviet union or the post-soviet union and they kind of didn't have enough foreign currency to be doing business with pepsi after they built some bottling plants and some other things mm -hmm. So they did a deal whereby they sold Pepsi 17 submarines, a destroyer and a frigate. What? <laughs> to Pepsi-Cola? To Pepsi-Cola. Were, were they defending themselves against Coke or something at the time? Well, as a result of this transaction, they were the seventh largest submarine fleet in the world was the Pepsi submarine fleet. <laughs> <laughs> but why? I don't understand. Uh, well, I guess right because the ruble was worth nothing at the time. So they went, right, we'll give you these submarines. I guess they had a... They, it was, I think they more transacted, brokered a transaction. With oh, a, okay. A, a, another buyer so pepsi hadn't gone out to to like source some submarines no no Pep, they, they were just pepsi were doing great business in russia and they went we want more money and they didn't have money so they went do you want some subs instead so at one point yeah the the pepsi navy was a very considerable force to be reckoned with wow more recently in 2013 it was there was a company called uh actually no it wasn't a company it was an organization that was part of a bigger company called typhon and they were supposedly going to float a private navy to counter piracy around mm. somalia in that area it's good to float a navy you don't want to sink a navy well indeed so and i read a bunch of stuff and basically there was loads of stuff launching it and announcing it mm. and then i couldn't find anything else about it so i don't know <laughs> if it was kind of a, a bit of a pr storm that never materialized but for a moment there i thought we'd have a, someone to take on pepsi in the field of naval battle but so so question then what's the difference then between or the distinction between an army and just a security team like if you were to have a security team that's armed how is that any different i suppose it's state actor isn't it one is a state actor and one is not. But there are mercenaries, aren't there? Well, so mer mercenaries are sort of more like contractors, aren't they? They're all individuals who effectively work together on a project that happens to be a war. Because I would imagine most corporations have a security team to protect their CEO or whatever, and they probably have equipment and likely guns. I, I can only assume so. I read an article that was suggesting that this uh, Typhon organisation wasn't a navy on the grounds that it didn't have some kind of licence from a national government. Okay. But also on the grounds of the kind of guns they had, didn't have big enough guns or something. And they suggested it was actually more like the same security you would have had on a boat, but on little lightning craft to go around and take the fight to the pirates, I guess. Yeah. So I suppose it's to do with you know, defensive capability versus offensive capability. Yeah. Would you have an offensive capability if you were a security service? 
You probably wouldn't need a tank, would you? No. Uh, presumably you have to have a license for a tank? I don't know. Well, like <laughs> don't a driver's know. license. Well, both a driver's and a presumably gunner's license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, you, there are quite a few tanks in private hands. I don't think they're allowed to travel on the roads, but... Are we saying it's time to buy a History Happened Everywhere tank? <laughs> Tank top, baby. <laughs> no, everyone to the merch site, you can get a challenger. <laughs> I think a, a small thermonuclear device would suffice. <laughs> Just a few heavy machine guns. With History happened everywhere branded, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Okay, hatepodcast.com slash merch. <laughs> For all your high-velocity rifle needs. <laughs> So, Mr. Dursley, Sir Dursley, was there any of the spooky tales that particularly resonated with you? Did you feel a frisson of fear at any of them, or were you just piff and smish, they're just myths? No. <laughs> <laughs> Although there was a logical inconsistency, which Ryan sort of picked up upon about uh, if you had your hands amputated. Ah, how, yeah. could you, how could you have amputated hands? <laughs> you can't have amputated hands because they're not there. Oh, I see. The hands have been amputated. You are simply missing hands. Oh. Right, okay. <laughs> that was one of them. I thought he meant what we were saying is about like how can you have amputated hands and still, and give, still have grab a good people and, <laughs> Yeah. But that's not what he meant. No. It is possible that the amputated hands are in his backpack. <laughs> so he has them. <laughs> but none of them frightened you, not a not a free sort of fit. I thought the the one that sits on your chest in the middle of the night and pulls your tongue out was terrifying. Well, You've, met, you've been met by Athayun, I'm sure. As you were saying, everybody wakes up at three o'clock in the morning with bad thoughts. It's just you've woken up at the wrong point of the sleep cycle when your ab- amygdala's active. That's all it is. Or it's a sleep demon. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's an overactive amygdala. So, Paul, all right, you didn't like the stories I told. I, stole, I told quite a few stories I there. Didn't, I didn't say I didn't like them. You just weren't spooked by them. No, I was actually surprised that there were so many of them because when the UAE came up, I had a little sly grin to myself <laughs> thinking, there's not going to be anything here. So I'll have to give you that. I, I must admit, when, when I got a United Arab Emirates, I, I was concerned. But I told a lot of stories uh, about a lot of these crazy boogeymen, but there were some that I, I, I couldn't get around to fitting in. We only had so much time. So uh, how about Al Salawar, otherwise known as the female gorilla, essentially Bigfoot of the desert? Okay. Would that spook you? Hairy woman? <laughs> yes, that would. Okay. Maybe I should have put these ones in. All right. What about Al Shabi? Al Shabi is the man with cups for feet. What? <laughs> He's a man who walks around on all fours with cups instead of gloves and shoes. So it sounds like a donkey. I guess. He just I mean he's just clonking around clonking around in, in in shoes. You can hear him coming at least. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> guess clink, so. clink, clink. Uh and then there was Umma Asibian, which is mother of boys, which sounds spooky until you realise it's a chicken. Yeah, it's called Mother of Boys, and it is a chicken that comes knocking on your door and it's going to take your kids away. I mean, that is quite scary. A chicken knocking on your door, that's a very different proposition. Yeah, it's quite easy. You just whack it with a baseball bat or a cricket bat. And then finally, there was Boo Raz. He's otherwise known as the big head. And it's just a man with a big head. (laughs) (laughs) 
It feels like someone has just been doodling and then naming their things that they've just doodled. Man with cups for feet, big head, and the chicken mother. Now that reminded me, you said Mr. Grebo, Greber, I forget the exact name. Garib. Garib. You said was a real person. Yeah. But I assume he wasn't a real person who used to beat people with nail-studded sticks. According to the legend, he was a real person. Whether he was a real person, I don't know. Now, that was something that I took away from your episode. That would be a very good way of keeping children in. Wait, I think you've taken the wrong lesson. (laughs) You're not supposed to take tips. (laughs) (laughs) Paul is our very own boogeyman. He's certainly my boogeyman. They wouldn't do it again, would they? (laughs) Now, I would like to talk, though, about the, the headless camel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was one of your favourites, wasn't it? it I stories. was a big fan of the headless camel. But I actually Googled the headless camel because I wanted to see more pictures. Mm-hmm. And I found some video of the headless camel, which actually kind of explains where this headless camel idea might have come from. Okay. So there was video taken in a zoo. And there were a couple of these because I guess it's a thing that camels do. Yeah. And this ca- you first look at it and it's astonishing. This camel walking along. Yep. And it's got no head. Okay. And then... It turns out that it's the angle of the camera, mm. but the cam- what the camel's doing is he's kind of nibbling on his hindquarters, so his head's turned all the way around. Okay. He's got that big long neck, so his neck's turned all the way around on the other side of the body of the camel, obviously. Yeah. So it looks, and uh, he managed to do this while still walking, which is impressive. So it looks for all the world like a headless camel walking along, and I could totally oh, I imagine see. seeing at the wrong angle this camel and going, oh, it's got no head, that's freaky, and possibly not sticking around to find out why. Right, especially at night. Exactly, I wouldn't hang around when there's a headless camel in town. Yeah, well, look, I also looked up some headless camel stuff. I kind of went down the the headless rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a hole for headless rabbits? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So cockroaches are the only animal capable of living for weeks without their head. But we're probably more familiar with headless chickens. Yes. Well, apparently when a chicken's head is chopped off, it's the pressure of the axe triggering all the nerve endings in its neck. And that sends like bursts of electricity down all of its nerves and that sends all, all the muscles off so the wings flap it runs around until basically the nerves stop receiving that message and then it just falls over and stops didn't one didn't one sort of though last for weeks yeah I, i think i know exactly what you're talking about on september 10th 1945 farmer lloyd olson of fruita colorado went out into his yard to kill a chicken for his dinner he chose a five and a half month old chicken which he'd named mike he named it and they yeah he named it as well so he put mike on the chopping block and he swung his axe and he removed mike's head however it wasn't a clean cut he'd missed the jugular vein and most of the brainstem. so mike got up and started moving around <laughs> and didn't die so olsen obviously is horrified so he brought him inside he cared for him and he fed him small worms and grains of corn with a mixture of milk and water via an eyedropper i guess just <laughs> directly into the neck how it didn't it didn't have a mouth i guess into its mouth hole okay straight down so mike recovered <laughs> and he was able to balance on a perch and walk clumsily and they reckon that's because he had one ear left from the bit that remained oh my lord he, he had a he, zombie chicken as he created and here. he would try to preen himself and peck for food uh, he even tried to crow <laughs> but it turned out it was more of a gurgling sound oh, in his throat oh no <laughs> 
So did it know it's had his head chopped off? That was the thing. But Olsen decided to do the obvious thing, right? And that is to set out on a mission to make Mike a superstar. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. That was my first thought as well. So he gave up the farm and he joined a traveling sideshow and he started selling tickets to see Mike for just 25 cents each. And Mike got famous. He appeared in Time and Life magazine (laughs) and he traveled all over the country. In fact, at the height of his popularity, he was valued at $10,000 which is equivalent to $122,000 today. And Olsen, the farmer, was earning now $5,000 a month, which is equivalent to $55,000 a month. But alas, in March 1947, Olsen and Mike were staying at a motel in Arizona when Mike started choking in the middle of the night. Apparently he had a kernel of corn which had become stuck in his throat. (laughs) (laughs) Now, normally this would have been fine because Olsen would have used uh, like a syringe to clean that out, sort of push water down and push it into his stomach. But he'd left it at the sideshow the day before. And so sadly he had to watch as Mike slowly choked to death. (laughs) (laughs) Mike drop. Mike drop. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, today in Colorado, they hold an annual Mike the Headless Chicken Day every May. What, they, they sort of get a load of chickens and try and chop their heads off just <laughs> yeah. at the right angle? I, I think it's more a festival for humans because the events include the 5K Run Like a Headless Chicken Race. <laughs> The egg toss, of course. Obviously, they pin the head on a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) The chicken cluck off and chicken bingo, in which chicken droppings fall on a numbered grid. That's my idea of a good time. (laughs) One big egg, zero. Okay, so talking of crazy characters, we also spoke about Abu Fanous. You'll remember him. He's the man with the lamp. Yes, indeed. He's the, the guy mysterious to, desert lights. Yeah, watch out for uh, for Abu Fanous if you're in the desert. He will appear to you at night and lead you astray. Could it, could it be some sort of Fata Morgana in the eve at night? That is definitely one of the theories. Yeah, uh, other theories for it include bioluminescence, so mm-hmm. basically insects that glow swarming, so like fireflies or something. Have you ever seen those? That's it's absolutely fascinating. But if if you sort of were in a place where they're bioluminescent insects, it is weird because it's like loads of people smoking around you. You just get little dots of light appearing and disappearing as if they're taking a puff on a cigarette. I actually haven't seen it, but it's it's on my bucket list of things to see. However, from the bioluminescence theory list is a rumoured type of owl which glows in the dark. A glowing owl? A glowing owl. Oh, take my money now. Other thoughts are that it's the result of marsh gas. The I was going to say marsh might... gas. Yes. And then I thought I was silly because we were in the desert. No, there are still plumes of, of gas that's released from underneath. Well, there's loads of oil and gas there, so yeah, it's a rat. <laughs> um, and the other thing, but as you write, say refracted light uh, known as Feta Morgana which is a type of mirage caused by sudden temperature difference between different air layers temperature inversion yeah which causes lights or objects beyond the horizon appearing as if they are above the horizon so you could be if you're in the desert you might see a ship in the distance and think ah there's the sea which you know if you're in an Emirati desert that might be a very real possibility of being saved but of course if you head that way it's actually a much much further than you would actually think 
They're also called Min Min Lights in Australia, and they've been seen apparently for millennia. And there's also the famous Martha Lights in Texas, which are very famous. And the whole town is sort of geared around the Martha Lights, where people can go and there's a viewing platform and you can actually see these lights yourself. Right. And we have Willow the Wisp, of course. And Willow the Wisp. Well, it, it, there's, a, there's an interesting thing, isn't there? Because there were some astronauts during the Apollo program yeah. who kept on seeing flashes of light mm-hmm. when they were going up and they, and they sort of never told people because they thought, you know, this is stupid. And when they sort of did discuss it, they actually worked out what it was. It was it was cosmic rays that were actually hitting the retina and causing a flash within the eye. But are you talking about the Fantastic Four? Because it was the cosmic rays that changed the those astronauts into the Fantastic Four. Um, I'm afraid I can't comment on that. Because <laughs> I only know about the famous five, and one of those was a dog, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Uh, very little in the way of superpowers. <laughs> Except detected. Yes, I wasn't. I, I was never allowed to read those because I was told they were too, too childish. Unlike your good self. Very grown up, mature, smart, good grade giver. Too late for that, Ryan. <laughs> 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 Captain George Forster Sadlier. He was the guy who traipsed all the way across the Arabian Peninsula for nothing. Ah, basically. Yes. That was hilarious. He went, on a, <laughs> he went on a real journey. Well, it's said that he was profoundly disappointed at his lack of success in Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> he became famous for the journey, though. He was the first European to cross the Arabian Peninsula for another hundred years. It didn't happen until 1912 after that. So he was the first one to do it and stayed that way for a long time. And so he retained an element of infamy. But he had had absolutely no wish to be recognised for it. Again, (laughs) for obvious reasons. In fact, he so refused to be associated with anything to do with the Arabia, he was often quoted as saying he was pleased with himself that he'd made zero effort to adopt local customs or learn a single word of the Arab language. That is the British way. (laughs) I've made no effort whatsoever to accommodate the place I lived for two whole years. (laughs) I want to know if people pranked him for the rest of his life saying, oh, could you just deliver this for me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what happens to him? So on his way back to Bombay, Sadlier is ordered to continue on to Pakistan, where he's given the task of negotiating a treaty with the emirs of Sindh in modern-day Pakistan. Now, this time, he actually succeeds. (laughs) He has a sword available already, doesn't he? (laughs) And he's rewarded with a two-year posting in Burma, modern-day Myanmar. He was promoted to major in 1830, and he retired from the army seven years later. So what happened then? Well, he returned to Cork in Ireland. A decade later, in 1848, he gets married, and uh, him and his wife emigrate to New Zealand in 1855, and four years later, he was dead. But I can also tell you the history of Governor General Francis Rawdon Hastings. This was the guy who sent Sadlier off on the mission in the first place. It and was then his immediately idea. set out on the battle that he was trying to put off anyway. Hastings resigned from the East India Company two years later in 1821. Uh, his next job was a posting in Malta as the governor of Malta. So he and his wife boarded the HMS Revenge and set sail. But he never made it. He died at sea on the way there. And his wife took his body to Malta... Where 
where he was buried, but not before she ordered that his right hand be cut off and preserved. And then she took the hand home with her to Scotland. And when she died, she was buried in the family vault with his hand clasped in hers. So what did she used to do with that hand? My first thought was, it just goes to show you can have an amputated hand. So we have come, Ryan, to the end of the line. You have to step into the dock and prepare yourself to face the people's judge. It's the spookiest of all the judges. The most terrifying, for sure. Mm. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Will the defendant please rise? I have risen. Your Honour, as ever, we shall start proceedings by asking for your verdict on the factual content. Actually, before you start that, I do need to fess up. (laughs) It's an early confession here. Why would you confess? I don't understand. Well, because it's pretty important, confession. (laughs) (laughs) I made a bit of a significant boo-boo and I wish to humbly apologise to the people of the Emirates. Uh, So... In the history section, I mentioned that in 2022, Sheikh Khalifa bin Zayed Al Nayan became president. However, that is incorrect. I made a mistake. It is his son, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayan, that took over from his father. So I just want to apologise to the people of the Emirates for any unintentional disrespect men there. I see. Well, you've done the right thing, Ryan. So what is your grade for factual content, Mr Dursley? Well, that has, just like the last time, it's thrown a real spanner in the works, hasn't it? Because I was going to give a moderately good score for that. I'll have to give you a D for that then. Oh! That's a shame. Shattered. The next section, as ever, is entertainment value. What is your verdict, sir, on entertainment value? So you had one repeating joke that went on and on and on through every single one. We do like those. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'll give you C plus then. Could you not just up it to a B? (laughs) Why not just give me a B? Well, that'd be 50 dirhams extra. (laughs) Hey! He's turned your joke back upon you, Ryan. (laughs) Dang it! All right, and now, the final factor, which I'm sure you're going to do well on, Ryan, is Dursley Factor. How did the tales of not real spooks and ghosts, as well as the very real history, appeal to you, Mr Dursley? Um, you might be surprised, it appealed quite a lot. What? 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 (laughs) What? I went into this episode with incredibly low expectations. A, because it was a subject that I have no interest in, and B, it was one of Ryan's episodes. (laughs) And I was really very surprised at how much information you actually managed to find, real information about sort of stories that were relevant, because I have to admit I was thinking, surely these aren't the real dates, you know, this didn't all happen then, but it did. So you were lucky. So I will give you C plus. I'm okay with C. Could have been a lot worse, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, the, it, we never know how these are going to add up to the final verdict, and we now reach the final verdict. But before the judge passes his final verdict, Ryan, you have an opportunity to enter a plea. Would you choose to do that? Um. Yeah. I guess so. Look. I, uh... <laughs> and there we have it. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Well, for Ryan, for you, that's a very positive plea. 
<laughs> because you haven't opened your mouth and gone backwards. Okay, well, Your Honour, the defendant stands and whines a little bit before you. Have you reached your final verdict? Yes, I have. So I must ask respectfully for your final ruling. Well, I will give you for this a... B minus. Oh my goodness, a B minus. The crowd did not see that coming. How are you feeling, Ryan? I think we're about to lose him. He's having a heart attack as we speak. He's going to be a ghost at the end of this. I can't. <laughs> he can't say. speak. He's overwhelmed. When was the last time I got a grade higher than a C? You've done well, my friend. I don't know. Never. Well, I'm for one. I'm delighted. Thank you, Your Honour. <laughs> you see, anything can happen. That's in it. history, yeah, happened everywhere. I, didn't even, I haven't even received your bribe in the post yet. So it would have been even more if you'd have got the camel milk chalk. Stupid postman! <laughs> I'm stunned. I'm staggered. I'm taken aback. <laughs> but I have to say that I can't quite claim that full grade to myself because I had some tremendous help for some amazing people. Oh, wait, you don't want it? Well, no, I'll take it. <laughs> take it. Um, so it's worth me thanking uh, Mohammed. Uh, that's uh, Reddit user serious underscore complaint underscore 46 for his time and contribution to the episode. And uh, Reddit user Eviz, <laughs> 3IV3IS. Uh, yeah, and he sent me this book here. That's a big book. And that is full of Emirati folktales, and I would not have had them if it hadn't been for him. So, yeah. Okay. Great book. Details Thanks, are guys. in the episode notes if you have an interest in that kind of thing. Although I believe it's the only copy of that book in the world left. <laughs> so contact me if you want some. <laughs> Ryan at HHEpodcast.com. So I have to say, well done, Ryan. I can only hope to live up to that high standard Sorry. when we come to my episode of Face the Music in Bhutan from 400 to 500 CE. Okay, so that is our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show or just to say hi, you can reach out to us on social media or the website hhepodcast.com or by email Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. You can do that for sure if you rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you do that, also your recommendation helps push the show to new listeners and we would love that. Yeah, and if you're a uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter user, uh, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those or follow those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one-minute animated HHE Bites. And of course, we'll be back again soon with the next episode. But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... Do you remember we were talking about the Dubai Bride? Ah, who appears in the back of your car. Yeah, and you said you never hear about any haunted airports. I did say that. Turns out there are haunted airports. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the most famous of which is Bangkok Airport. And now Bangkok Airport was built on marshland that was drained in order to make way for construction. Now, as it happens, part of the area that it was built on was an ancient cemetery. No, that's <laughs> yeah. never a good start. <laughs> yeah. And so as soon as construction began, all the workers that were there started 
started to report things that were pretty weird. Yeah, because they realised it was a cemetery there, so they thought they could get some time off. They said that they heard screams, chanting and wailing. Others reported hearing Thai classical no, music they didn't. being played. <laughs> Did tools start going missing by any chance? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it caused great distress amongst the workers, with some of them reportedly quitting on the spot. However, <laughs> one of the ghosts <laughs> and right. the most famous ghost at Bangkok Airport is called Pooh Ming, the caretaker of the ancient cemetery. <laughs> uh, this story doesn't seem to pause properly. Yeah, Bangkok Airport, so if you're flying there, watch out. I am frequently terrified at the airport, but uh, only for reasons of delays, missed flights and my general competence. Infamy, infamy.